Matthew chapter 5, we are starting this week a series um, called The Good Life, and I love serieses. That's the plural of series, right? I love serieses. My phone's about to say, how can I help you? <laughs> See what I did there? Um, I love serieses, and this particular series is, is close to my heart because I think that there's a misconception because of the Western culture we live in on what a successful life looks like, what blessed is, and what a good life is. And so this four-week series is going to take the Sermon on the Mount, like one of the most popular sermons Jesus ever preached, uh, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, and we're going to break it down, and we're going to take a look at what he defined the good life to be because it may not actually look like anything our western culture would recognize we're so blessed but i don't think that means what you think it means we have this idea that blessed means happy in fact, in a lot of the translations in your, in your, in your Bibles or, or on your phone app, it actually replaces the word blessed with happy because happy is an aspect of living blessed, right? So your Bible might say happy is the man or happy are the poor in spirit. And I'm not discounting that. I'm just saying that that's not the, the totality of what we're going to be talking about here. So in this four-week sermon series, I want to learn what God's definition of living a good life is all about. And I think what we're going to find is that it's kind of like just the opposite of what our Western consumer-driven, it's all about me and I got to get more stuff culture is all about, not only in America, but in, but in Western culture in general. So this first week, we're calling it Right Side Up. Um, and the idea is that, that um, God's way is the right way, and we are actually upside down on how we're living. Um, just kind of demonstrate this. I didn't even put the verse up here for you, but I'll read it to you. In Matthew chapter 4, which is the chapter before Matthew 5, that's, that's why I'm the pastor. Like, I can figure those things out for you. And communicate that to you. So Matthew chapter 4 is right before Matthew chapter 5. And at the end of Matthew chapter 4, it says this about Jesus, that he went about all Galilee teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Which is great. But he didn't stop there. It says, and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of diseases among the people. So Jesus, what I love you, so this, here's another way to say that. So to restate that, Jesus made it his ministry to preach and teach and to demonstrate the way of the kingdom of God. That's what makes me so, so incredibly impressed with these beautiful people that took it upon themselves to meet needs of folks in our community. Because they just didn't sit in church and talk about what needs to be done or how God wants to live. They demonstrated what the kingdom of God is supposed to be looking like. We are the change that is needed. That's what's exciting to me. And that's why we're honoring them today. And that's why I want to be their friends and get closer to them and become more like that. Another way to put this is, so here's, here's the example that Jesus gave. Because what Jesus teaches is inseparable from what he does. That's a significant statement. Because you can't 
call yourself a Jesus follower and only listen to what he says. To be a Jesus follower, you do what he did. Not just listen to what he said. And here's the thing. We are so good at parsing every word he said and outlining what it is and making notes, you know, in our journals about it. I think what Jesus is really interested in is us doing something with it and not just being good at the information but enacting change in the world that we live in. And I don't even know what that looks like for you, but you ought to be struggling with it. It ought to be something that's like, how can God use me to affect change in my world? How can my little kingdom become what the kingdom of God ought to look like? The same Lord that teaches the Sermon on the Mount is the same Lord that calls us to follow him in that life. Are you tracking me? It's like, like this, is, this is where, it's just a cool thing I heard people say. Are you following me though? Like are you, are you understanding this? Like, like this is what it's all about. Let me tell you this. I think that if more believers in Jesus would behave like Jesus, there'd be a whole lot more people interested in what you got. Because people don't, care what you know until they know that you care. The first sermon that Matthew records Jesus preaching was the Sermon on the Mount. And he starts it off in verse 3, and we'll read the text in just a minute, about all of these blessed behaviors, right? We call them the Beatitudes, so that's a weird word. Where did beatitude come from? It's not in the Bible. So let me kind of show you where the, the, word, the word blessed, what you may have as happy, the word blessed is the Greek word makarios, and that's what, that's, that's what it was originally written as. So like, because 2,000 years ago when they wrote the New Testament, it was written in Greek, and the Greek word for blessed was makarios. Well, the next, the next language that that scripture was translated into, because Greek started to kind of roll off the scene, and people were speaking Latin. So they translated it from Greek into Latin, and the word was beate. So the, so the Latin word for blessed, or makarios, was beate, which is where we get the beatitudes, and it kind of stuck. Okay? But we don't really use beatitudes anymore. So, it's, so, so if we go back and look at what the Greek word makarios meant, let me, let me expand this for you. So, so you might have happy in your mind, or you might have it in, in, in your Bible, but let me, let me kind of throw this, let me just blow this up for you here to show you what this blessed life looks like because it's not just happy. Here's three aspects of the word blessed. This is the life that we're supposed to be living, an inner sense of joy and peace that comes from being right with God. Now that's a whole lot different than hashtag blessed. God gave me a parking spot right next to the handicapped people. Hashtag blessed. Come on. God's interested in more than that, right? I mean, it's not like God's upset that you, but you probably need to walk more anyway. So it ain't going to hurt you to park out there where the semi-tractor trailers are either. 
But that inner sense of joy and peace that comes from being right with God, it ain't the same as just being happy. Because I ain't always happy. And God's not as interested in you being happy anyway. God's interested in you being right with him. Another aspect of the word blessed is the applause from heaven for the character shown. Now this blows my brain. That I can live in such a way that makes heaven, that's my boy right there, makes me proud. I can live in such a way, I can be poor in spirit, I can be meek in in, in such a way that causes heaven to applaud the character that I'm showing. Because I'm demonstrating what Jesus would do if he were here. Another aspect of this word blessed is, and and we're going to see this in the text, is the promised reward for living this way. Blessed are the poor in spirit, right? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So here is the character shown, poor in spirit, and here is the reward given. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. This is much different than just being happy. I'm too blessed to be stressed. Maybe, okay. I'm not going to make you take down your, your quilt that says too blessed to be stressed. Or I'm going to, you know, you can, you can leave the bumper sticker on your car. That's all right. But I'm just saying it means so much more than that. And that's what we're seeing here. And I'm excited to be able to share this with you. Because I want us to, to, to actually live in such a way that it begins to affect change in the world that we live in. Because we are living out the life, the good life that Christ had in mind. Um, My goal for today is not to go into detail about each of these Beatitudes, although my heart is I'd love to share that with you, and I can kind of see maybe a series in the future of, of these Beatitudes because they'll knock your socks off. But for now, we're going we're gonna to notice the difference between maybe what Christ had in mind blessed is and what we like to think blessed is. And we're going we're gonna to show the difference being pretty obvious, and then we're going to run right into how can we make that happen in our own life. So, so we're going to wrap up here shortly. But let me just share, share, just kind of like set the stage here. The pursuit of happiness seems to be the driving force in the Western culture that we live in, like America, like most of Europe, first world countries. We believe that happiness can be found in satisfying our physical desires and comforts and appetites. And let me just say this, those desires may be legitimate. And I'm not saying that that it's not good to have nice things. I like nice things, all right? I like it when my car starts. That makes me happy. (laughs) Hashtag blessed, all right? I'm good with that. I like it when I have nice things, okay? So I'm not saying that having nice stuff is a bad thing. And God has blessed many of us with actually a place to sleep every night. All right? Some of us like our cars so much that we built a house for them called a garage. Now, some of you don't know that's what a garage is for. Right? Some of you think a garage is just an extension of your storage space. 
But we are blessed. We truly are. We are blessed in the, in the, in the sense that we have stuff that we think makes us feel blessed. But that may not be what exactly Christ had in mind. And even though these desires may be legitimate, the engine room, I love that phrase, the engine room of every human is the spirit, which is designed to be inhabited by God Almighty. And if that ain't happening, you ain't ever going to be truly happy. And you're never going to feel truly blessed. Augustine put it this way. He said, you have made us for yourself, praying this to God. And our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Because here's the thing. The teachings of Christ work from the inside out. From the spirit. And then, like if you drew a little circle, put the spirit there. Another circle around that one, that's the soul. And then outside of that would be the physical. So, so the, the beatitudes, the teachings of Christ, the good life, begins from inside the spirit and works its way out to your soul and then into your physical life. Our culture tries to reverse that process and say, if I buy this, or if I experience this, or if I do more of this, then I will feel happier. But you and I both know that just ain't true. Because as soon as you buy it, you want a different one. And as soon as you drink it, you want more. And as soon as you go there, you want to go somewhere else. And as soon as you have it, you don't want it as bad as when you didn't have it. And now you want something else. Because it's like this unquenchable thirst that we have that can only be met by the Spirit of God. Because the engine room inside of us is the Spirit that is supposed to be inhabited by God himself. So here's the thing. Either Jesus was wrong or our culture is wrong. And I'm putting 100 bucks on Jesus. I'll put a whole lot more than that, actually. So let's read Matthew chapter 5, the first few verses here, and, uh, and kind of get an idea of what, of what we're talking about. And, and this is, again, just to give you kind of an overview of the beginning of his first sermon here recorded in Matthew. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain. Now, these are the multitudes that were following him because he was healing everybody and preaching the kingdom of God. And when he was set, so he sits down on a rock, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, and then here's the beatitudes, the the blessed behavior. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn for they shall be comforted. Well, that doesn't make any sense. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And then I think that these, so there's seven. A lot of people think there are nine. I think there's closer to eight, because I think these last couple can be all kind of merged together as to one thing. But if you want, if you want to abide by nine as to the bait, that's okay with me. 
Verse 9 says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Verse 10, blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye, no, the, the ones that are all together are here, verse 10, I'm sorry, and 11. Blessed are ye which men shall revile you, when men shall revile you and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. For rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Yay, you're persecuted. It just doesn't make sense, right? It's like, it's okay, maybe I missed something, you might be saying to yourself. But here's the thing. So there's a very definite order in how Christ arranged these. And I wish we had, like, we we're starting our eight-week series on the Beatitudes right now. But there's a definite order of how he did this. So the first thing he says is, blessed are the poor in spirit. What does that mean, Eric? What? So let me just give you a little sampling here, right? So this logical, spiritual sequence that he has put these in, so the very first thing you have to do in order to make any of this work is you've got to come to God with a poor spirit. Now, what does that even mean? Let's, let's, let's kind of look at it this way. We enter into the spiritual life completely bankrupt by admitting our own poverty of spirit. Us coming to God does not mean that we come to him and measure up to his standard. I want to become a Jesus follower, so I need to start being in church every day and reading my Bible. and change. No, 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 no. That's not being poor in spirit. In order to get into the kingdom of heaven is what Jesus is saying is, you have to realize that you are spiritually bankrupt. And you can't measure up. It starts by realizing that we don't measure up and we are spiritually poverty stricken. Helpless as a little child. Does that ring any bells? If you're going to come to Jesus, what he said, you got, you got to come to Jesus as a, as a little child, a little child who needs help, not as a grown adult who thinks they got it all figured out. So that's the very first beatitude given. Does that make sense? So the very first beatitude he gives here, he puts it right there, saying in order to be able to even come to God, you have to come to him spiritually bankrupt and said, I cannot, and say, say, I cannot do this on my own. I will never measure up. I can't get all clean to come to Jesus. I got to come to Jesus and let him help clean me up. So that's why there's verses in Scripture like all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And, and there is none righteous, no, not one. Right? Those Scriptures are pointing out our spiritual poverty. that We can't come to Jesus as long as we feel like we got this all figured out. We come to Jesus when we got nothing. And that's exactly how he wants to take us, spiritually impoverished and then you get the kingdom of God what that's why you're blessed that's blessed like you come to God spiritually in poverty and you're blessed because he gives you the kingdom of God 
Are you kidding me? Does that look different than what our Western culture says hashtag blessed is? Yeah. I drew this little comparison here. We won't spend a lot of time on it. It's like Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. We like to say, go back a little bit. Those rich in their own goodness. Like I got this figured out. I need to do all of these things to make sure that God is happy with me. Jesus said, blessed are those that mourn. We think blessed are those who are free from problems. Hashtag. I'm blessed because I ain't got no problems. <laughs> that, that ain't what Jesus said. He said, blessed are the meek. We think blessed are the assertive and powerful. Because I'm going to make a way. I'm going to make it happen. Jesus said, blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness. We like to say, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for more of this world. Like they, it's, it's obvious God is blessing them because they have a newer car than I do. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful. We like to live like blessed are the unforgiving. I'm going to hold a grudge for a long time and make them regret ever doing that to me. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart. Unfortunately, in this Western culture, we think blessed are the immoral because they get to do whatever they want to and not get caught. Blessed are the peacemakers, Jesus said. But we live like blessed are the vengeful and unforgiving, those that like to stir the pot all the time. And Jesus said, blessed are the persecuted for righteousness' sake. And we like, we like to think blessed are those who are rewarded for the evil they do. Big differences. So let me give you four quick lessons that I've learned or that I've discovered about living right side up. So, so unfortunately, we don't have a lot of time to go in, 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 the, in a lot more study about what the Beatitudes are. But we can get an idea of some lessons that we can learn here about living right side up. And the first thing is, is that living right side up is counterintuitive. It's okay if you have to look up how to spell it. <laughs> I had to right click on it too. <laughs> Many of the Beatitudes are the exact opposite of what we want to do. But here's the deal. What we've been doing has not been working. Here we are, Jesus followers, but we're not even living like a Jesus follower. It's like we have fire insurance, right? We're not going to hell. We got fire insurance, but it's not affecting how we live, right? And that's as far as our relationship goes, we're missing out on the whole thing because it's counterintuitive. Even as Jesus followers, this good life is not being experienced because we're not living the way that he said we ought to be living. John Stott said this, the Sermon on the Mount is probably the best known part of the teaching of Jesus. Though, Arguably, it is the least understood, right? And certainly the least obeyed. And there it is. It's probably one of the most popular sermons Jesus ever preached. But we don't understand it. What does it even mean? And then we don't ever live it. I say that as a very general statement. But it's something that we struggle with. So 
living right side up is counterintuitive. Second of all, the blessed life or the good life is impossible apart from Jesus. Jesus is not saying you should live this way in order to be saved. He's saying you should live like this because you are saved. You don't live this way to become. You live this way because you are. And here's the secret. Not only does Jesus set the standard for life, he empowers us to live it with the help of the Holy Spirit. So like he was good enough not to just to say, here is the standard for you. He said, now let me help you with that. I won't leave you comfortless. He said, I'll give you the Holy Spirit. And God indwells the believer, right? And God, God resides there. And now he can help you through this. John 15, 5 said this, without me, you can do nothing. So he's given this great illustration there that, that like, you know, like, like, you know, the vine and the branches, and you, the, as long as the branches are connected to the vine, they're going to produce fruit. But, as long, but, but without the vine, you can't, as a branch, produce anything. And he's saying, without me, you can't do anything. And the thing is, so that, that word nothing there, and if you go back to the way that it was written 2,000 years ago, that word nothing is a double I think they call it a double imperative where it's like, like not at all. Like, like you can do nothing. I mean, like not at all is what they're saying. Like, it, like there's absolutely nothing you can do without the help of Jesus in the Christian life. So it's impossible to live this out, this, this right side up life without the help of Jesus. And then number three, what we do must flow from what we believe. And we won't spend a lot of time on this one. Correct doctrine should always lead to Christ-like behavior. So here's, and here's what's, and, and this is who I, this is, this is why it's so important for me, for us to be a church that creates an environment of doing things and not just talking about things. Because you may know doctrine better than your pastor. It's not likely, but it could happen. All right, it's very likely. You may know more scripture than your pastor. So how's that helping anybody? The Bible says knowledge puffs up. So I'm not opposed to knowledge as long as knowledge produces behavior and that knowledge produces obedience. If it doesn't, then we become modern-day Pharisees. We sit in judgment of the behavior of other people. And we condemn other churches for not having their doctrine straight while we sit in our pews on our blessed assurance doing nothing. It's better than what was in my mind, okay? We must not only know what we believe, but we must understand how to behave. And finally, we should live seeking the applause of heaven. And I just think this is beautiful. Like if we're going to go through life, wouldn't it be awesome if our heavenly father is just like, that's my boy. That's my girl right there. I'm loving it. I'm loving it. Lost my mom and dad to cancer 10 years ago. And I don't know if they're looking down from heaven. I know we like to say that to make each other feel better. I don't see a lot of evidence in that scripture. But they might be. 
mean, there's like, okay, my, my wife says they do. So I'm, let me back up on that statement. <laughs> I know that there are, there's a great cloud of witnesses in Hebrews. I know that. But it doesn't say who they are. But what if, like my dad and my mama, see their boy pastoring a church? What if he sees my girls doing well and loving Jesus? You know, my mama and my daddy would love to hold my grandbabies. And like there's this emotional tug for me. Like I want to make my daddy and my mama proud of me. And I want to live in a way that honors them. Well, good night. A hundred times that. I ought to be feeling that way towards my heavenly father. Who is watching who does indwell me and has an impact on my daily life. The root idea of the word blessed is the word approval. So here's what's just beautiful. Those that are blessed and have their, their lives lined up with the way that we ought to be living. So, so for instance, when we bless God, right? Man, bless God. What we are saying, in a sense, is we're approving of his behavior, <laughs> which sounds really weird to say, and praising him for it. Man, bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within, is within me, bless his holy name. We're approving and praising what our God is doing. Conversely, when he blesses us, blessed are the poor in spirit. When he blesses us, he is expressing his approval of us. That's my boy right there. That's my girl. That's what I long for. And that's what we should be longing for. So the real question here this morning is how much do you want God's approval? That's what the Beatitudes are all about. They show us what a disciple looks like and how to gain the approval, how to gain the applause. Now, don't carry that statement further than it needs to be. I know that through Jesus, we're all approved, right? But there is something to our behavior that brings the applause of heaven, and that's what I want, and that's the good life because there is something that living right does for you that buying something just doesn't and that's what I want for you so that we can affect the world that we live in with this incredible gospel of good news let's pray father we love you and thank you for this this incredible book that you've given us and specifically, the, the verses that we read this morning and the truths that are there and the life that you want us to live that truly does give us a blessed life and help us to be challenged with that today. And if there's somebody here this morning that does not have a relationship with you on a personal level, I pray, Father, that that would happen this morning, that that introduction could be made. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.